0: Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method, and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource, it's free, you should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to the podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step by step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running that's my blog remix method and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix hey everybody before we get started i want to thank my friends at hatch for producing this episode you can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm all right let's get in the show Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. Super excited to have Densper on. She is a global content marketing strategist. And on today's episode, we are going to emphasize global. We're going to talk all about global distribution, what the sort of pitfalls are with global distribution, what may be some of the mistakes, assumptions, all those things that go into it as we're trying to create and share content on a global scale versus just maybe our home market. So, Lee, welcome to the show.
1: That's right. Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Awesome. So I know we were were chatting before we got on here, but I I think you've got a great sort of just starting point (laughs) to level us up on with global distribution. So maybe we can just start right there.
1: Yes. So 70% of all businesses that are online sell outside of their own market. And I don't think businesses realize this. That goes up to 90% when those companies have more than 50 people on board at their company. So if you are online, you are selling globally. You have a global market, global people are interested in your content. And I, I wanna talk more about what that means.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting. So I when mm-hmm. I worked at TechSmith two companies ago, definite global company we had you know sales across over i think 180 if not 200 countries across the world i had global in my title for that exact reason was like hey justin you're not just going to lead us content you're leading our global content efforts um a little bit different when i went to the startup world it was a, we did sell globally but it was less so but even now running my own thing it's interesting like seeing the stats on folks who purchase The course and but you know, or or check out the or on the email list. It's a global world we're in, right? Like it's amazing to see that. So I'm interested, like, what are some of those key differences that we need to be thinking about as we're creating, sharing content and knowing that it's global, even if we wouldn't say like, yes, we have a a marketing hub in Germany or we've got a a dedicated US marketer. What are those things that we need to be thinking about?
1: So the first thing. That we all assume is that the English is readily understood everywhere. And yes, the majority of people on LinkedIn and in our audiences do speak English, but they don't prefer to do business in English. Something like 75% of people prefer to do business in their own language. They read English, they understand English, but it's not theirs. It's not their their culture. It's not their language. So there's this myth that content is global, that what you write will apply globally to people who speak the language. It's just not the case. The buyers are different in every market. People believe different things, they behave in different ways, they have different preferences. So you you literally have to do buyer personas for each market and step back and recognize that that buyer is literally different. It's not just about language, it's largely about language. But it's also about customs, culture, preferences, beliefs, values.
0: So how would somebody start doing that then? How do you, if you come into a company or you're working with somebody and they've got multiple, you know, you look at their sales and they've got, you know, multiple different countries or or regions that they're selling into, how are you thinking about that as a content person? And how do you start to actually execute on some of that stuff?
1: Exactly you start by identifying where the biggest growth is gonna be, right? Because you can't approach all markets, you can't handle all markets, not when there's potentially hundreds out there. So you figure out where your biggest growth is, who are your biggest users, where's the biggest need? And then you look at that market, you do the buyer persona, you conduct the research, you talk to customers in that market and you build the buyer persona for that market. And then that helps you shift what you're writing about, shifts how you're approaching it, it also gives you an indication that you may need to translate that content. That's one of the first things you do. That's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit is get it translated. But there's a process beyond translation that's called trans creation. Trans, of course, means across. So you're, you're crossing cultures by adapting that content, not just about the words. It's like you're changing the colors, you're changing the images, you're getting rid of all those American sports metaphors out of your content because people in India don't play baseball. So you're actually fully adapting the content so it works for that audience. So it doesn't like alienate them or frustrate them or just not connect with them at all. So it's kind of a dual process. It's it's like changing the words and that's translation. And then it's changing the emotion and the intent and the cultural aspects of it as well. (laughs) That's not
0: cheap. So is that something that How do you even start thinking of a trans-creation world if you have uh, a big subset in Germany or Japan, for instance? Those are two very different Mm -hmm. environments. Are you hiring, I'm assuming there are probably agencies or people who help with this type of stuff?
1: Yeah, there are. So you need a content strategist on the ground in each of your markets, you know? And of course, depending on your volumes, you might not have the resources to hire somebody full-time, but you need somebody who's a cultural expert, a researcher, a content strategist in that market. So that's kind of a satellite of your home office. And then that person can connect you with the market and help you with the adaptation of that content, engage a translator or a linguist who can do that transcreation process. So yeah, you need people on the ground who know the market.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, is it better to do this poorly or to not do it at all?
1: I love that question. And I'm not sure that I have a, you know, yes, it's better to do it poorly than to not do it at all with a lot of caveats. Because if you do, I'm going to give you a funny example. If you do it poorly, you can screw everything up. Example. So you remember the Got Milk campaign in the United States? Well, that was translated into Spanish by an agency in San Francisco. And the way that they translated it, it came out as, are you lactating?
0: (laughs) A little different, you know, maybe not quite what the uh, Milk Association was going after.
1: (laughs) No, not so much. So offensive. I mean, funny, maybe to us, but offensive in that market. And so that not only was that a waste of money and no, they fired the agency, but it alienated the market. It frustrated the market. So that is what happens when you do it wrong. There are pretty big consequences. But translation doing something to help that market understand your content is better than ignoring that need completely
0: yeah yeah it's yeah because sometimes it's hard like it's easy especially now with some ai tools and things like that to do translation probably Mm -hmm. pretty pretty efficiently and, and pretty accurately Um, A little bit harder to go into that Mm -hmm. transcreation side where you're doing research, more in-depth content, changing tone, changing, you know, all of those type of things. Exactly. So would you say then that like step one maybe is that sort of translation, like if you've got these, you know, things in here, maybe set up some landing pages, some web pages, et cetera, some other pieces of content for those markets as translated in that, you know, get those to be as good as you can before you worry about jumping into custom content across there.
1: Right. So you would pick the most important pieces, you know, your your most important landing page, your best lead magnet, some blog posts that would be good for the market mm-hmm. and translate mm-hmm. those. And translate those carefully. Be careful with AI translation. It's best for like a service manual or like FAQs, but you should not translate anything that's highly branded with AI. I mean you're you're gonna get, are you lactating right. if you right. do that? Yeah. So don't do that. But I would pick the top pieces, you know, the highest performing pieces, the most important pieces and get those carefully translated. And then you can go deeper when you get more traction Mm. in that market and adapt, you know, create custom campaigns, adapt existing campaigns, go deeper once you get traction. But it's a it's a step by step process.
0: Is there a good sort of rule of thumb with the companies that like that you've worked with? Um, as far as timelines, like how long, how long does a process like this take?
1: Right. Uh, if you're going to just translation can happen quickly. Translation doesn't take a long time in and of itself, but creating those buyer personas, creating a campaign for a specific market, understanding the distinct distribution channels, you know, social media is not the same world round. Facebook is used differently. LinkedIn is used differently world round. You have to decide which channels you're going to distribute on because it's different for each market. So, translation is easy, but laying that strategy, that customized strategy, takes as much time as it does for the home market. Yeah. You know, you're leveraging from your home market strategy but you're adapting it for that specific market. And that takes takes time and expertise to do that.
0: Yeah. It feels like it might even take more time because at mm-hmm. least for me, I feel like I would be second guessing a decent amount of things, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing the market. I'm relying on that sort of boots on the ground person or some sort of advisor on the on the region or something to be able to actually pull that off in a you know coherent way to where we're not doing the got milk campaign we're doing something that actually actually makes sense. Right.
1: And I have more crazy examples. It is iterative. Just like with your home market, just just as lo- as long as it took you to get it right in your home market, you do some tests, you try some things, you translate a landing page, you see how it does and then you tweak. That's that's the way we roll in content marketing. Try, tweak, try, tweak put content out there, test concepts in the market, and then change it if you need to. Yeah.
0: So on these global scale, are we also mm-hmm. then scaling the practitioners? Like if we've got mm-hmm. if we're doing paid ads, are we having a paid ads expert for a particular market or somebody who's in or, mm-hmm. or can it function as, oh no, your home team, you know, your home team can can mm-hmm. kind of manage that and they just have to get the right assets in place.
1: Yeah. A mix. So if you're really big and you're, you know, you're a brand like Nike or like Nokia, then you're handling you're handing all of that off to a language services company. So they're big companies that handle multiple languages, multiple deliverables. They put technology in place. I mean, you can go from having a bilingual person translate a landing page to having a, a big company that serves 250 languages mm. and as many markets doing all of your adaptation. So there's definitely a continuum depending on your size, you know, how much you want to double down in that market.
0: Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So is there a good way to basically start thinking about distribution globally where we're not stuck on, you know, you you, you had the quote in the beginning of the episode and, mm-hmm. and the stats that are sort of like, and how, you know. Different the reality is probably to how people are currently thinking about it. So, how should people be currently thinking about distribution for these global markets, especially if they don't have any resource in place right now to do any of that work?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know. That's the question for startups and smaller companies who are selling online and they're like, oh crap, we might be global, right? So, the first thing is to be develop an awareness and to think about how their content may or may not be appropriate for all audiences. Gain an understanding of the the nuances of culture and how cultures are different. So it's an awareness at the start, right? Like Not everybody responds to this content the same way as my American clients or my European clients do. Awareness of the differences. And then an awareness of how content can be global. There is a way to create content in English that is suitable more or less for most markets. Unfortunately, that makes it more generic, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you can create content in a way that's suitable for, for most markets.
0: What are some of those things, Lee? What are those things that we can do to make it, I mean, even if it does make it more generic, what are some of those things?
1: Yeah, It's idioms, metaphors, jokes. Those things are not universal. They don't ever translate. Every culture has their own idioms, jokes, slogans. Um, And then there's cultural and political references that you don't want to have in your content, probably anyway, right, in this landscape, right? Like, you need to be aware that those can be perceived as inappropriate or just, you know, baffling in other countries. Even the use of colors can be funky. Like, the color red in Africa is troublesome. It's associated with mourning, with mourning and death. So you have to be aware that the use of colors can be problematic, I mean, there's a lot there, Justin. It's all really interesting, but I get that it's maybe overwhelming. I mentioned sports metaphors. We have something like 35 baseball metaphors in English. We say, I mean, touch base, hit a home run, so many baseball metaphors. And I've come to understand that um, Europeans and bilinguals in other countries learn English and learn those metaphors, but often they don't know that they came from baseball. They don't even know. So sports metaphors, yeah, all those things. And even like images and emojis are perceived differently in different countries. So, you know, if I can do anything through this podcast episode, it'd be to raise the awareness that there's all these elements of language that are specific to our culture that can offend or perplex people in another culture who might be reading your stuff. So this one, I'm doing the hand symbol with the okay sign. This is something kind of off-color in China. So, I mean, why would an American know that unless you've traveled to China or have a Chinese friend or, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's definitely feels like there's so many little pitfalls that you can fall into. It also feels like to me, like when we did this at TechSmith, when we decided we were going to really, outside of having like a key marketer for our key regions, but like really put emphasis on global content creation Mm -hmm. we had somebody in-house who basically took the reins with Mm -hmm. all things global and became the check person to me as a as leading content marketing that was super helpful because even just listening to you i'm having semi flashbacks of like all the things that go into creating a true when you are not Mm -hmm. a nike and you Don't just outsource every single thing to an agency, or even when you're got milk and you just, ah, we screwed up, we'll take the campaign. You know, like there's enough (laughs) dollars behind those type of things to where, you know, they're willing to probably just not dot every I and cross every T and all those type of things. So I am really interested in terms of like, I like what you mentioned earlier with the baby steps and try to just go with maybe some of your best markets, some of your best pieces, and then, Mm -hmm. and then think about those and do those the best way you can for those markets versus like Mm -hmm. chomping off the entire bit of the pie and say, well, we're now everything we're doing now is global focused. Everything we're doing now is going to be, you know, if we're doing this campaign in English, we got to get it all translated Mm -hmm. for for Germany and France and for, you know, like I like that the way of approaching that. And then you can see what works and what doesn't.
1: That's the only way to do it. Otherwise you're going to spend Tens of thousands of dollars for uncertain ROI. You know, translating everything is not a strategy. So, another thing that's interesting, and my expertise is in the Latin American market, there are 26 countries that speak Latin America, that speak Spanish, and each of those countries is a different culture. You can loosely associate country with culture, right? 26. So, people ask me, do you translate in 26 different ways? Then, because there's dialects involved, Spanish is not the same, the vocabulary is not the same. The syntax is not the same. And no, you don't. You don't need to translate Spanish 26 times. If you've got Latin American buyers, Spain and Latin America are are quite a bit different from each other, but there's a way to translate into Spanish that reaches that market appropriately without doing it
0: 26 times. So how how would that, how would you go about that then?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Again, you look at the markets where your product is being sold. You look at the markets where people are interested. Is it predominantly Spain or is it predominantly Latin or South America? And you choose a variety of Spanish that's that's regional enough for that market. There there is a form of generic Spanish, which is actually kind of fascinating because it doesn't exist. It's a version of Spanish that doesn't exist, but it's used in it's used in literature and translation to to appeal to all Spanish speakers. Like, yeah, nobody speaks
0: Interesting. It. <laughs>
1: But everybody understands it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I love the idea of not translating everything for the sake of translation. You know, I remember when I first took over running content at TechSmith, one of the initiatives was like we were we were doing blogs and we had obviously way less content on our German and I think Japanese or French blogs at the time but we were in some ways the strategy really wasn't a strategy it was just you know a little bit of of while well, we released this one in here so we're going to go get it created over there and especially at that time it was like there was no way to cross check keywords or you know semantics or if this thing was going to rank or not because once it went over i could do that in english but once it went over to translation The translator is simply just trying to do their best to translate it at that point and get the thoughts across. At least in that case, they weren't necessarily a marketer. Right. So I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, how could I have done that better? Or uh, what are some of the pitfalls Mm -hmm. there? So you've
1: made a couple interesting points. One is that a translator isn't a marketer, just like a copywriter isn't a marketer. It's the same. Um, It's a parallel concept. So a translator can be excellent at their craft and really good at, you know, converting concepts from one language to another, but they don't understand the big picture of marketing in another country. So there is a specialization there. You talked about SEO. So multilingual SEO is a big deal. And there are experts out there in that. And the main things to understand is that people do not search the same way in each country. So if you are Doing an SEO play to drive traffic and to drive leads in another market, you need an SEO strategy that's appropriate for that market. It's another instance of something that you develop for your home market does not, it just doesn't work. So often the mistake is to just translate the keywords and it doesn't work. They are new. They are different. You have to research the keywords for every single market. And then of course, use those keywords in, in that content. So translating is a first step yes but I think I'm characterizing for you how mm-hmm. quickly it can go wrong. Yeah,
0: it's a huge undertaking. I think that's the biggest thing that that I'm coming across from from this conversation is it's just like a remembrance of how a daunting that it truly can be cuz content marketing, all that, it's daunting doing it once. Trying to do it across yeah. multiple languages, multiple dialects, multiple countries, it all just adds more and more complexity. But I think the moral of this episode is, you know, I think for a lot of content marketers, like maybe just check, like, you know, see where outside of your home market, like where are sales coming from, where are website traffic at, you know, those type of things. Those are easy sort of first steps for content marketers to be yeah. able to see, oh, we do have a global brand. Look at that. There are visits from, you know, X, Y, and Z country. So, I think that is step one. And then huh? two is like, yeah, planning and just start mm-hmm. small. Like your, your two best pieces, your three best pieces across maybe a little bit of the funnel or a little bit of the plan or what's your best email series. Like start Slowly working those things Mm -hmm. across and then by the time you know it, you've got Mm -hmm. a little bit more traction, a little bit more learnings and you don't have to feel so overwhelmed.
1: Absolutely. That's the only way to do it. And then as I mentioned, the awareness, the cultural awareness of the differences in cultures um, and then the awareness of what you're writing and how you're writing it and how specific you don't even know that what you're writing is so specific to your culture until you start studying it. And you realize, I am uniquely American. Everything I write is so American. And you can't take that out. You shouldn't take that out. But American content marketers are writing American content. I mean, we have some peers who are European and their content is slightly different. The words they use, the way they explain things.
0: Yeah, super interesting. So anything before we wrap, Lee? Anything you would need to get out to the world here uh, before we close out?
1: I um, think I want to give one more terrible Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely.
0: Let's do it. That'll be a good way.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. So there is an airline called Braniff Airlines, and they were promoting leather seats. They have leather seats, so it's a differentiator. And their um, campaign was fly in leather, right? But in Spanish, again, problems with Spanish, they translated (laughs) that as fly naked. So, I mean it could be appealing to a specific target audience but it, it probably wasn't what <laughs> that's they meant hilarious.
0: right <laughs> that's a, so now everybody's goal is to go look up translation miscues uh, in marketing and you'll get a whole yeah, list that's, right. that's hilarious <laughs> between uh lactation and naked we've got quite the translation right. faux pas here so
1: <laughs> that's right it it did can go really wrong yep
0: Awesome. Well, Lee, it was super fun to chat a little bit about the global side. I think people will get an mm-hmm. idea of a how complex a global content marketing strategy, kind of what that entails, but also the steps that they can take to, you know, not have to dive all the way in but get a little bit here and there to make their marketing better on a global scale.
1: Absolutely. And people are welcome to follow me on LinkedIn and reach out. I love talking about this stuff. Awesome. Culture and language Great. is super interesting. That's
0: awesome. So thanks, Lee. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Justin.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First, and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are gonna help you build your brand, 10X your content and transform the way you do content marketing make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.